0: So I've got a lot to share today, uh, and I hope you find uh, value in what I'm going to share. So for almost, two, for almost 200 years, Scotland was known as the land of the book. Many of you will know that, the land of the Bible. And for 200 years, we sent out missionaries to all over the world, into Asia for the first time, into North America, South America, the Caribbean, Australia, but about 60, 70 years ago after World War II, for some reason, our nation changed. During that 200 years, God really blessed our nation. And our nation had a big, prominent place on the world stage, making great inventions. And uh, there was people like, i you like Eric Liddell, who went to China for 18 years. And uh, what an example Eric Liddell is. This is just one example of how God would work through the life of one person to, to make a big impact. Going to the Paris Olympics in 1924, Eric was one of the favorites to go and win the 100 meters. And then he found out that the uh, the races were on a Sunday and he would not disrespect God by running on a Sunday. So he withdrew from his one sport he was going to run in. And he asked if he could get put in the 400 meters an event he doesn't run in. And he got to the final and lo and behold, he set a new world record and won the gold medal by honoring God and then went off to China to share the gospel. That's the kind of caliber of, of person that, that Scotland was, was putting out around the world, that God was using to impact the world for 200 years. Wonderful, a blessed nation. But then, for some reason, after World War II, our church in the UK has been in rapid decline for 70 years, and now we're at the extent that less than 10% of our population in Scotland will worship, will gather together like this to worship Jesus on a Sunday morning, less than 10%. Something has went seriously wrong, horrendously wrong, and as, as, as our church has been in decline, our nation has been in decline, moralities went down, our societies went down, and our place in the world stage, our influence in the world has went down all because we've started to turn our back on God. Why? Why is that? Why has there been a change? But more importantly, what can we do to reverse this trend? To bring a strength back into the church in the UK, where the church in the UK has an influence on the nation. Someone once said to me recently, that unless the church disciples the nation, the nation disciples the church. And unfortunately, for 70 years now, our nation has discipled the church in the UK. I'm embarrassed to say that, but it's the truth. So let's look at what God's doing in some other nations around the world. Singapore has the population, the same population as Scotland, but it has the land mass of the size of the Isle of Skye. So imagine the whole of Scotland living on the Isle of Skye. Five million people Now, going back to the early 1960s, there were only 50,000 Christians in the country of Singapore, and Singapore was a third-world nation. Today, there are over one million Christians in Singapore, a growth of not just Dublin, but 20 times. The number of Christians has increased 20-fold in that time. And during that time, as God has worked through the church in Singapore, Singapore has been transformed from a third-world nation to a first world nation with the highest concentration of millionaires on the planet and is the number one place, according to the World Bank, the number one place for conducting business in the world because of integrity. China, I mentioned China earlier on, and uh, Eric Liddell. From the time of Eric Liddell's death in 1945 as a missionary, in 1945 there were three million Christians in the whole of China. Today, there are 163 million Christians in China. In 70 years, there has been over a 50-fold growth in the church in China. And from that time, China's been transformed through God working through these people, and China is now the number one economy in the world. I don't think that's a coincidence, as God's favor is through his people. And so we need to look What is it that's happening in Singapore and in China and places like Hong Kong? Why is the church growing so much? And what can we learn from the churches there? I had a very unique opportunity at the start of this year to go and meet with leaders of the churches from Singapore, Hong Kong and China and leaders of Christian organizations that are making a big, big difference. Uh, And I spent uh, a week with them asking them these questions. Will you teach me? Will you tell me, what what is it that God's doing? And what is it that we're doing wrong? So the answers to those questions are the basis of this talk, this exhortation this morning. So let's look at the word of God. Let's look at Mark chapter 4 and reading from verse 1. So Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. This, for me, was one of the first ever church meetings. I always talk about the church starting in the book of Acts. But I think of Jesus going out and doing his ministry 2,000 years ago. And when people gathered together to hear the word of God. That for me was the start of the church. Um, I love church. I love coming to this church. I love being part of this church. And I'm excited about the future of this church. And I love coming to hear preachers like Stevie Roy. Who opens up the word of God to me. I love that. But imagine... 2,000 years ago, these people wandering down to the shores of Galilee, and lo and behold, the person that's given the message that day is God himself, the Son of God, in the very flesh. And Jesus has given them pearls of wisdom. He's sharing the parable of the sower with them from that boat. He's sharing the parable of the mustard seed from that boat. Absolutely fantastic. Words that have stood the test of time 2,000 years later. Amazing. I would have loved to have been there and experienced that and just to see what's Jesus' style like when he preaches. One thing that sticks out for me, and uh, you know, we're used to preachers in, in the UK standing up from the front, but it says specifically in this passage that Jesus sat in the boat because in those times the, the, revered, the revered teacher would always sit to teach I thought it was interesting that Mary Roy sat last week <laughs> to share. And I thought, as soon as she sat down, I thought, that's God making a statement, and there's somebody with wisdom. <laughs> so Jesus sat in the boat and taught this crowd. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, I've been to numerous churches and numerous nations around the world uh, throughout my lifetime. And I've come to the conclusion that there are four types of people in the membership of the church universally worldwide in Scotland and in Singapore uh, in Scotland and in America Canada Costa Rica all all these other different places I've been Eastern Europe four types of people in membership not people who are inquirers coming to find out about Jesus but people who are seasoned church members in membership so to remember uh, this is my psychology coming through here now I always try to help people remember. So I want you to hold up your hand, fold your thumb away, and wiggle your fingers. And look, you've got four fingers. So remember, there are four people groups within the church. So let's remember this. So, people group number one. The first group um, I find in the church are the people who focus on what could be done better. A few people laughing already. (laughs) (laughs) there is a significant proportion of the church who focus on what could be done better. So let's transfer that to this passage that we've been reading where Jesus is teaching the crowd. Now going home from that church event on the shores of Lake Galilee, that crowd who had this people group, this section of the crowd would go home talking to their friends and they would say, you know, they could have got my bigger boat. (laughs) I don't think everybody could have seen him properly. I really thought that through. They could have had better crowd control. I was a bit uncomfortable. I thought I was getting pushed a wee bit too near the water. I could I could feel that water splashing near me. I wasn't I wasn't. That's not good health and safety. <laughs> they may even have said uh, they should have had something for the kids. You know, like a sand a sandcastle building competition. You know, that would have been, that would have engaged the kids, that would have brought the kids in. I really don't think the thought through the whole let's preach by the sea kind of event. So I think you're laughing because you can recognize some of this people group. Now, let me be clear there is nothing wrong with holding up church to the highest standards. It is right that we analyze ourselves because everything that we do for God should be of the highest standards. There's nothing wrong with that. The danger is, what if our focus changes so that that's the main thing that we focus on and we come away from church talking about what could have been done better? If that's a group that you have somehow migrated into over the years for whatever reason, let me say to you this morning, in love, you're starting to miss out on the best that God has for you. Because God has things ahead of you that you can't even imagine yet. There's experiences he wants to give you. There's things he wants to do in your life and through your life to touch others that you're missing out on because your focus has shifted. And for this people group, where we do focus on what we could do better, we make the church weaker if that is our focus. People group number two. As we move swiftly on, are the people who focus on the social aspect of church, the love coming to church and mingling with everybody. So, again, transferring it back to this passage here, going home from this event in the Galilee, as I've heard Jesus teach from the boat, as he sat in the boat. As they're going home, they're talking to their friends about who they bumped into at church that day. I met my cousin for Jericho, I've not seen him for a year. <laughs> I think he's put on a wee bit of weight. <laughs> oh, and I bumped into, I got chatting to an old school pal. Oh, I've not seen him for years. He's doing really well. He's running. He's got his own luxury camel sales business. <laughs> Man, he's loaded. You should see the cloak on him. <laughs> and as we go home from church, and in and, and, and that event, too, eh, on the way home, they probably stop off at their favorite inn for uh, a refreshing drink and uh, their favorite kind of meal together. And a couple of weeks later, as the friends are getting back together, they will talk about the day that they heard Jesus teach from the boat on the shores of Galilee. But as they remember that event, they will talk about more the meal that they had together afterwards and perhaps the funny story of one of them who lost their sandal on the beach and amongst the big crowd try to build a sandcastle. <laughs> Now, let me be clear again. There is nothing wrong with socializing in church. In fact, I find it vitally important that we get to have relationships with each other, we build each other up, we get to know each other, that we can love each other, encourage each other. That is so important. It is so vital. And with anything in life that is so important and so vital, that can become our main focus. It's the way that we work. It's the way the human mind works. So again, if that's the the main focus that we have from going to church and coming away from church, I say again to you in love, if you've fallen into this category, you're starting to miss out on some of the best that God has for you. Because again, he has experiences for you that you haven't yet experienced. There are things he wants to accomplish in your life and through your life. And for us together as a church, that we have not encountered yet because our focus has just shifted that little little tiny bit the third people group i love this people group this is the group who are touched deeply spiritually and spiritually engaged by church great prayer life a great scripture life reading scripture every day A thirst for god i want to know god more and as they come to church they are touched by the message. Again, transferring it to this passage, I can just see this group of people going home and someone saying, you know, when Jesus talked about that, lighting a lamp and putting it on a stand and not putting it under a bowl and hiding it under a bowl, I thought he was talking to me because I do that. I put myself under a bowl, I hide away. I need to trust God more. I need to step out in faith more. And so I love this group because this group has a heart and a passion for God and a gospel uh, passion for the gospel. They love God. They, they receive God's love. They thrive on it. They've got a great relationship with God. But there's one piece of the jigsaw missing. One piece of the jigsaw missing, and that is, they will not step out of their comfort zone and answer the call that God puts on their life if it takes them out of their comfort zone. They will love God and worship God within the safe parameters of their comfort zone. And for that reason alone, the church is weaker. Do you follow me? And so we come to people group number four. They are almost identical to people group number three, deeply spiritually engaged by church Great relationship with God. They pray every day. They have prayers answered. They read scripture. They thirst for God. They thirst for the things of God. But the one unique difference between people group number three, people group number four, is people group number four will step out of their comfort zone when God calls them to do something. In fear and trembling, they will step out of their comfort zone and they will answer the call of God in their life and they will go forward and they will fulfill their full God given potential. Psychologists conclude that less than 2% of the human race fulfill their full potential in life. 98% of people do not fulfill their full potential in life. And that transfers to the church too. This people group number four, for me, is in the minority in the church. They are the one people group that are living completely the will of God and fulfilling their full potential. And because of this group, the church becomes stronger. If we have more people in this group in the church, the church becomes stronger. So I say to you this morning, in love and in encouragement, I see massive potential in this room. We are the church. You're the church. I'm the church. The person sitting beside you is the church. We are Whitburn Pentecostal Church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And there is massive potential in this room if we all completely surrender to the will of God and allow his Holy Spirit to move through us and equip us and anoint us and empower us to go into this world and share his glorious, incomparable, life-changing, life-enhancing gospel. That's the potential that this church has. And it's with a heavy heart that I say this church is not fulfilling its full potential. Something has to change. We have to move forward, and we need to get out of our comfort zone. Let's go back to the the Word of God here, Mark chapter 4, and let's look at verse 35. So previously, Jesus has gotten the boat... He sat in the boat, he taught the crowd, he shared the parable of the sower, he shared the parable of the mustard seed, uh, other great words of wisdom, and now here we are. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. And it was completely calm. Calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It was ten years ago that uh, I first stepped out of my comfort zone as a Christian, and I'll be honest, it happened by accident. LAUGHTER I'd been a Christian for 17 years. And uh, I tried my best as a Christian. I got involved in everything the church was doing. I got involved in other Christian organizations. But everything I did, to be honest, was within my comfort zone. Sometimes at the edge of my comfort zone, learning new skills, etc. But it was always within my comfort zone. Then 10 years ago, I'd volunteered to go to Latvia through a Christian organization called the Businessman's Fellowship. And uh, there was three doctors from London had organized this trip, and they were very experienced uh, missionaries, if you like. So they had been out to Latvia many times, they would made all the contacts, uh, they had set up all the arrangements for all the meetings that we were going to speak at, at different cities after dinner speaking. So I was just basically turning up, <laughs> and I was going to... Uh, go for the, the experience of it. I was going as the kind of warm-up speaker, the, five, the five-minute testimony guy. This is how I became a Christian. Now here comes the big guns, you know. And I was coming to learn from these guys, specifically learn how is it that you deliver your testimony a powerful way, and how is it that you pray with people, uh, you know, in ministry time at the end of a meeting. So I was going to learn. And the day, the day came that we were traveling out to, to Riga, And I got a phone call from the the doctor in London. He says, Stephen, there's been a freak snowstorm in London. The airport's shut. The flight's cancelled. Where can I go? You're going to have to go. (laughs) On your own. (laughs) And uh, immediately, I was out of my comfort zone. (laughs) Immediately, thinking, oh my goodness, I've never been a main speaker. Uh, I've never really prayed with people. I've prayed with people before, but nothing's happened. You know, This is going to be a disaster if I'm I'm the one that's taking these meetings. Um, So, immediately from that point, totally at my comfort zone, starting to tremble, basically, and uh, praying the whole time on the plane, again and again and again and again, praying up to the very first meeting and up to every meeting that we had. Lord, you're going to have to do something, (laughs) because I'm rubbish. (laughs) I'm not a good speaker. And, you know, every time I've prayed, I don't know what I'm doing. And nothing's happened. You're going to have to do something. But I kept going. The the, the doctors from London said, Stephen, you have to go. These meetings are all arranged. You're just going to have to go. Don't worry, God will do it. (laughs) Good. I'm holding on to that. (laughs) Lord, you heard this guy say this. You're going to do it. (laughs) You're going to do it. And lo and behold, to my complete astonishment, every meeting that we went to, every meeting that we had, people came to faith. Faith. And I prayed with people, and for the first time, people were healed. I, I was absolutely gobsmacked, Godsmacked, <laughs> astonished, absolutely astonished. And I remember coming home on the plane and I was reading through the book of Acts and saying, "Yeah, I saw that happen, saw that happen, saw that happen." And just reflecting, and like the disciples in this passage, I couldn't help but say it over and again, "Who are you, Lord?" that you can work through a nobody like me and you can do all these amazing things. Who are you? And it is in that moment, it's kind of frightening when you see it. But now I look back and think, wow, that was so awesome. (laughs) You know, a front row seat to seeing God do big things. It was just amazing. And then a year later, I was invited back to Latvia because it was such a success. So... Uh, invited back and there was more meetings in more cities and also I was going to speak live on the radio and I was going to speak in uh, the University of Riga in the business school and do a full day seminar on what the Bible teaches about integrity and how to succeed in business. So it was great. I was actually looking forward to it again. To be honest, I'm out of my comfort zone. I've not done anything like that before. But I'm holding on in faith that God helped me the last time he did everything and he'll do it again. So I land in Riga airport. kind of half excited, half frightened. And as I'm about to go through passport control, the passport guy with, uh, it's funny, these ex-Russian countries, they're really big into the uniforms. This guy had the biggest helmet you've ever seen (laughs) in this tiny little passport booth. He can't turn around because it batters off the windows (laughs) and the big shoulder pads and everything. Um, And he says, I'm sorry, Mr. Turnbull, I can't let you into the country. I said, how no? Kind of saying, do you not know who I am? (laughs) 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 I'm on a mission from God. (laughs) He says, your passport's out of date. It expired a week ago. (laughs) I said, can you overlook that? (laughs) I don't know how I got out of Scotland with this passport, but I did. And I arrived in Riga and they said, no, um, out of date, it's not a valid passport, so you have to get back on the plane and go straight back to Scotland. I said, well, that, that can't happen because well, I'm about to speak on the radio today in about two hours' time, and I've got all these places I'm going to speak. I can't let these people down. So he said, you're not going to get in the plane? I says, no, I can't. So he picked up his walkie-talkie, babbled away in Russian, and literally 30 seconds later, there's two security guards with, with machine guns in their hands. <laughs> and the passport guy says, you need to go with them. <laughs> Well, okay, so I got taken away and put in a detainment room because I had refused to leave the country. And I'm sitting there and pretty shook up because you don't know what was happening and, you know, the, the big hat was pretty intimidating for the guy. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm embarrassed. And I'm saying, Lord, you've called me to Latvia, but I am such a numpty I'm not out for this. I can't even check my passport. (laughs) That's like the first thing you have to do when you're leaving the country. And Lord, I can't even do that. Why are you picking to use me? So Lord, if I get on that plane, I know I'm not out for this and I'm never doing anything like this for you again out of my comfort zone. I can't. I can't let anybody down. I can't let you down. But if this is your plan for my life, if this is what you want to happen, then going to do something about it. (laughs) You're going to have to do something big to get him out of this. I'm thinking I'm arrested at the time. I wasn't arrested, I was detained. And then, lo and behold, Mr. Big Helmet Guy comes into the room. No helmet on this time. And uh, he takes his name badge off and he hides it. And he says, I don't know why I'm doing this. He says, if I get caught, I'll lose my job and I'll get arrested. But he says, for some reason, I feel it's important you get into the country. So I can't do it officially, but if you're willing, I'll smuggle you through the airport. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why no? <laughs> so I went through the, the, the kind of secret places of this airport. Not, not through the duty-free and the big flashlights, places where there's pipes in the ceiling and wires hanging down. And this guy smuggled me out of the airport into the country. And lo and behold, to my astonishment, everywhere I went, eh, even more people came to faith. I spoke on the radio. There's people phoning up the national radio station. I was there talking because I was going to be running the seminar at the University of Riga that there was a businessman from Scotland coming to teach about business success. So I was on national radio. And they're asking why you're here, and I'm I'm talking about, I'm sharing my testimony on national radio. I was late because of this delay thing, and I'd missed the rehearsals for this program. They said, well, just go in away and you go, and just talk about what you want to talk about. So they didn't know I was going to be talking about Jesus. So I shared my testimony on national radio. And national radio, they contacted the leader of the businessman's fellowship the next day and said, we've got all these names here. People have phoned up the radio station saying they want to know Jesus. It was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, praying with people and seeing people healed, experiencing things that I'd never experienced before, things that I'd never expected, and all because all I did was make myself available and be willing to go out of my comfort zone. I had no skills, no training, no experience. And so I urge you this morning, the Church of Jesus Christ, I urge you to step out in faith because God will not abandon you. And God will choose to do new things through you. And that was a turning point in my life, I have to say, because it was only from these kind of experiences that I understood fully and experienced fully how wonderful, how capable, how powerful, how loving God is, how passionate he is for the lost. They'll say, well, forget about the passport stuff, Stephen, I'll get you in, don't you worry. And he just, he made it all happen. He did everything. Only God can bring people to salvation. Only God can heal people. But he chooses to work through us. So if we don't make ourselves available, where does that leave the church? Where does that leave God? So I urge you, we have to be people group number four. We have to be bold enough to step out of our comfort zone and trust the God that you love, that he knows what he's doing. I wish you'd kind of said to me, Stephen, I can. uh, I wish you would look at your passport before you go. That would have saved a lot of time, to be honest. And I was down one clean pair of underwear, I have to say. So let's turn again to the Word of God. Let's let's look at Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 1. So here we are, Jesus has taught the crowds. He's left the big crowd behind. He's left the big church gathering behind. And he's going across to the other side of the lake because he's got a plan and a purpose. He's got business to do on the other side of the lake. And he pushes through a storm to get there. So reading from verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. What a statement that is. Nobody could bind him anymore. What's he getting bound in the first place for? Not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran And he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank, into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. And when they came to Jesus... They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was sitting into the getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed began to go. but began to go with him. Jesus did not let him go, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis region how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I often think of the disciples and what it must have been like to be there at Jesus' side, 2,000 years ago, as he went through this period of ministry, and we can kind of romanticise it at times, but you know these guys are still shaking from the storm and thinking they were going to die when they arrived here. And the reward for pushing through the storm. And I think about the disciples, the guys that were running that boat. There you go. That's how nautical I am. They were running the boat. They were sailing the boat, and they could see a storm coming. But Jesus had given them instructions. We'll have to go to the other side. They didn't change their course. They didn't go for the nearest shoreline. They didn't fall back. They kept on going. And they pushed through the storm, the difficulty. And the reward for that was having a front row seat to seeing God in action. To take on the powers of darkness, defeat them. To bring healing and restoration to a man so tormented for years that the people from his town would take him out into the cemetery and chain him up. What a horrible position to be in. And when the guy saw Jesus, he ran to him. And the disciples witnessed a miracle as Jesus gave him his life back. And the guy's so pumped up by this as anybody would be Can I go with you? I want to be part of this. You've changed my life. And great words of wisdom from Jesus, which is words for us today in Whitburn. Stay amongst your own people and tell them what God's done for you. That is the greatest form of evangelism. It's not having a big program and having a big event where you try to get thousands of people to come to something. These things are important too and they work. They're a tool. But the most important evangelism is is us witnessing that God's alive in us and witnessing and sharing his love because there is nothing like it in this world. There is no weapon the enemy can fabricate to replicate love. It's the one weapon the enemy does not have, and it's our greatest weapon, and it's our greatest gift to be filled with the love of God and to share the love of God. So, for the love of God, will you please Tell the people uh, in your family, your neighbors, your friends, your work colleagues. Share with them naturally. I'm not asking you now on Monday morning saying, right, that's it. I'm making a change to walk in with your Bible under your arm to your work and saying, right, everybody, you need to listen up. (laughs) Put your pencils down over here. That's not going to work. But naturally in conversation, when someone says to you, how was your weekend? Because people who know you and have a relationship with you, they want to know that. How was your weekend? And you can say, I had a great weekend. Highlight of my weekend was church. It was brilliant. Maybe that's all you need to say. A little teaser, as they say, putting it out there. So you go into other things in the conversation, and maybe they're intrigued to say, why was church so good? And you can say, I experienced God. I felt God's love on Sunday morning. I felt it from my family in the church. I felt it through the the words that were being taught. Whatever comes to you, the Lord will give you the right words to share at the time. So, time's marching on here. I just want to uh, share and make sure we're going to catch the three things I really want to catch here from the churches in Singapore and China that are growing. First thing that they and I've been building up to this, don't worry. (laughs) I've been building up to this. The first thing they really made clear to me is there is a difference between being a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. And I'm honest with them, says, I have no idea what the difference is. (laughs) Please tell me. say, well, you know, the phenomenon today of Twitter and Facebook, you can follow somebody on Twitter and Facebook. You follow them because you like them, You like what they've got to say. They have an impact on your life. Maybe they make you laugh with the stupid videos they put up. Um, And sometimes you'll share what, uh, what they're putting up because you think it's important. But that doesn't mean it's changed your life. And there are followers of Jesus in the church. But a disciple is someone who regularly will step out of their comfort zone to say, I'm all out for Jesus No matter what you want me to do, I'm going to do it because I trust you. That's a big difference. Can you see the difference there? Do I need to go over it again? (laughs) So, here's some of the words of Jesus when he talks about his disciples, as John 8, 31. If you hold to my teaching you're really my disciples. How simple is that? That is a complete statement. If you hold to my teaching, if you understand my teaching and you follow it, you're my disciple. We all know what's in this book. Us that have been in the church for a long, long time, we've read it all, but do we hold to it? When God says, uh, Jesus said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be with you. And yet sometimes we're too afraid to step out of our comfort zone but think something bad's going to happen to us. Faith. Luke 9.23 If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Let's underline that word, daily. Is it an all-time thing? our discipleship of Jesus Christ. Uh, is Sunday, the main focus, and it kind of tails off a wee bit as we forget what was said, maybe around about Wednesday, and uh, the cares of this world come in, like Jesus was saying in the parable of the sower, and kind of takes our focus away. Or do we daily surrender ourselves to Christ and say, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do? John 14:12. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Oh, my goodness, we have to do what Jesus was doing. And Jesus says, not only will you do the works that he was doing, you will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And then explains, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to empower you. Fantastic. And I could go on and on. So, number one thing I want you to remember from today, four people groups in the church. We need to be number four. We need to be the ones who trust God and move out and out with our comfort zone into the God zone where he's already there. And he's got gifts for us to use that we've not used yet because he's not given them to us yet because we've not stepped out into the right place yet. So he's got things ready for you. When you step out, there you go. This has been prepared for you. I have this work for you to do. Use this. Everything's good. Principle number two that they use over in China uh, and uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, and this really kind of blew me away. They said, watch and pray. I'd heard that phrase before. I didn't really understand it. And again, I I felt like a complete numpty talking to these guys. So there's a difference between being a follower and a disciple of Jesus, Stephen, isn't there? Aye, there is. I don't know what that is. Tell me. And then they're saying, so the next thing um, is you need to watch and pray. I'll do that. What is that? (laughs) <laughs> and they talked about uh, a philosophy that came out in the 70s called the Seven Mountains. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. There's four leaders in America who were given the same word by God in the same day. Leaders are big, big evangelistic uh, oper- um, organizations. And they were all taught by God in the same day and instructed to disciple people and put them in positions of influence on top of the seven mountains of society. The seven mountains being... Arts, the arts, including entertainment and sports. Number two, business and finance. Mountain three, church and religion. Number four, distribution, including media and communication. Number five, education and training. Number six, family and community. And number seven, government and law. Those are the seven pillars of society, the seven mountains of society. And God was instructing his church back in the 70s. Now is the time I want to, for the Western church as well, especially, I want you to get people discipled up, put them into these positions so there can be influences in the cities and the nations so you can disciple the nation and not have the nation disciple the church. Have the church disciple the nation. We've failed to do that in the UK. We have failed to do that, and we are in decline because of it. So watch and pray. What specifically means watch and pray? All it means is to look at these seven areas of society and pray into them. That's it. Pray into them. they shared some scriptures with me, which kind of opened up a little bit more for me. If I can find them. They're definitely here somewhere. I'm going the wrong direction, that's why. So watch and pray in the scriptures. The scriptures it'll come to me. Here we are. First Chronicles twelve, thirty-two. The sons of Issachar had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, and all the people were at their command. These people had wisdom because they were praying into the situation in their nation. And also Isaiah 21, verse 6. For the Lord has said unto me, Go, set a watchman upon your wall and let him declare what he sees. So, to watch and pray is to look specifically into these areas of society and see what's the enemy doing? Where's the threats coming? What do we need to go in and have a bit of battle with? What do we need to do to bring righteousness into situations which are becoming unrighteous? To sit on the walls and look at our land and pray into these situations. And these guys gave us testimony after testimony after testimony of how their nation was being changed. Oh, absolutely dramatic. Um, One man uh, talked about, he says, uh, back in the 70s, this was a message that was given to me. And so uh, I was a lawyer. So I thought, I'll I'll watch and pray into government and law. That's obviously where the Lord's calling me. I'm a lawyer. So I'll pray into government and law. And uh, back then, He said, Singapore was ranked 156th in the world for its legal system behind Mozambique. (laughs) He says, what an embarrassment our legal system was. So I'm praying into this, and I can see things that are wrong in in, in the legal system, influences from the enemy. He says, I could see them. They were all revealed to me. And he says, one day out of the blue, a government official came and said, um, we would like you to come and head up the judicial system in Singapore and take it forward. People like you, you're a man of integrity. Will you take this promotion and this big challenge? And I said, I knew, I knew God had prepared this for me, so I took up the mantle. Um, and within 20 years, uh, the, the whole system had been changed. This guy would go to his work every day and pray throughout the, the, powers, uh, the, the corridors of power in Singapore say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he would be directed to rooms where there'd be idols, false idols, and he would take them out, he'd put them in the bin, uh, and he would do this. And every decision he made, he prayed them through. And now, officially, according to both the United Nations and the World Bank, Singapore is the number one legal system in the world. Safest place to do business. Because uh, one Christian man, a lawyer, prayed, stood on the, the walls and prayed, watched and prayed, and was directed by the Lord. He kept on saying, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so a nation was changed, a judicial system, the whole system of justice in Singapore changed through God working through one man. One story that really uh, blew me away too uh, was a prison guard, uh, a man called Jason Wong. And he said, I, I I had such a burden for family. I knew I was supposed to kind of pray into the family situation uh, in Singapore. So I prayed every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? What can I do to, to help families in my nation? And he said, and it came to me, I got an urge one day to, to set up a Christian group in the prison. And we've got Christian groups and prisons in Scotland. So he did. He, he advertised to the prisoners that you know, if you come at such and such a time, 3 o'clock during your free time, I'll come and tell you about Jesus in the Bible. And one or two came and they got saved and then the group grew and grew and grew. And he prayed every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? And one day, the Lord said to him, I want you to help these guys that when they get out of prison, you're going to help them find a job. So go and speak to restaurants and cafes and ask if they would take ex-offenders. So he did and he found Christians in the restaurants and cafes and the Lord was speaking to them. And so, yeah, that got set up and so these guys were now getting jobs. And again, this man's praying, Lord, what do you want me to do next? And the Lord says, why don't you teach these guys about me as a father and teach them to be a good dad so that when they get released from prison, they can be reconciled to their families. So he started what's called the Dads for Life program. Dads for Life. So he started this and only started it 10 years ago. And in 10 years, he's helped 7,000 7,000 prisoners who have been released from prison and have been taught up through, through biblical principles to be a better dad, and they've all been reconciled to their families. And it started a great reversal of a terrible trend in Singapore that once you get into the, the penal system in Singapore, you reoffend, you re-offend. All 7,000, all 7,000 of these men, none of them have re-offended and so, 10 years ago, the prison population in Singapore was just over 17,000. Today, the prison population is just over 10,000. That's a big change. And so much so that the, the government in Singapore have said, that Dads for Life program has changed such, uh, such areas of our society. We now want to roll this out through every school in Singapore and teach every family, every man who has a child to be a better dad because this makes us a stronger nation. That's amazing. I find that absolutely amazing. Uh, a prison guard, no great uh, experience, no great training, etc., but stepping out of his comfort zone, what do you want me to do? So I urge you today, step out of your comfort zone. Ask God, what do you want me to do? Have the courage, the faith, to believe that God will equip you and lead you. And the third thing, just very quickly, is that uh, all the churches in Singapore, Hong Kong, China, my goodness, they can't build churches quick enough in China that it's growing at such a rate of knots. One thing they do is they pray for every member in the church to release them into their families, into their work, into their places of work, and say, go with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and do whatever God asks you to do. And the churches do not care if the fruit comes back to the church. All they care about, does the fruit go to the kingdom? Yes, it does. And so the church is growing at a because it's given in love. It's saying, we we support you, we encourage you, each member, we pray for you, let's get you filled up with the Holy Spirit, and off you go. Where you already are in, in, in life, with the friends that you have, the family that you have, the work that you have, be God's agent. You'll be equipped. You'll be gifted, you'll be enabled. Just step out as the Lord directs you. And that's how the church grows in China, Singapore, Hong Kong. And so that's a word for us today, I believe, in Whitburn. We need to be in people group number four. We have to be the wiggly finger number four. We have to step out of our comfort zone and trust God. God knows us inside out, knows what we need, and he's already prepared the gifting and the anointing for us to do the work that he's called us to. So at the end of the service today, if anybody would want me to pray with them, I'd be very happy to pray with them, to encourage you, to embolden you, to step out of your comfort zone and be God's agent exactly where you are in life. I'd be delighted to do that. Let's pray just now. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us and for your choice to work through us Imperfect as we are. Frightened as we are. Restricted by the barriers we put up ourselves, Lord, we pray that you would remove these barriers in our minds. That you would release us into the work that you've called us to. That we can lift our heads towards you and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Father, I pray that you would come through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit and move among us now as a church here in Whitburn to be a light that shines into the whole of West Lothian for each member that's represented here today, that, Lord, your love would flow out of our lives into the lives of our families, our friends, our work colleagues. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.